105 on the East Coast. It's my fault, people. If you want to send a hate, send it my way. I was, you know, impaling myself technologically wise. But this is Market Call. Uh, today's Market Call brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, if it's Thursday, it's SoFi. Get your money right all in one app. Elizabeth Young is in the studio. Dan Nathan is in the studio. I am not. And in just a few minutes, back from wherever the hell he was, not that he will be with us, but he's always sort of with us, Butters. I mean, I think he was like in Michigan. Who goes to Michigan? People from Michigan don't want to be in Michigan. Oh, God. I they digress. got a lot of beautiful lakes. Honestly, they really don't. I'm you know just, what, guy? Just, this time of year, we're in New York. I think without doxing Butters too much, that would be John Butters. He's a senior uh, earnings insight did analyst. I, did, did I just do that to him? I doxed him. Yeah. yeah, but he's up there in Boston. It's hot this time of year, isn't oh, it, Liz? I mean, it's right really now hot. in New York City, it is absolutely disgusting. Yeah. Guy and I, we were part of a bell ringing ceremony at the NASDAQ this they morning. They do have a bell. They have oh. an opening bell and they have a closing bell. And we were we we did it, the opening bell, the Fast Money crew. Uh-huh. It was awesome. But then they took us outside because they put all our pictures and all this stuff up on the uh, outside of the NASDAQ. And Guy, we're as our people say, schwitzing a little bit. It was it, it was <laughs> it was hot yeah. to be in in a in a sport jacket or a suit. I uh, bet. Yeah, was not pretty. Um, but we got we got we got a big show. We got Liz in the studio. Yeah. Uh, Guy is in his home studio. We're just gonna call it Guy's Skiff. That's what they do skiff. in the government, right? Skiff, Skiff. It's like uh, the thing where it's you your read. location. Yeah, mm. exactly. But we got a lot going on. A lot of things that we have been talking about on market call that Liz has been writing about. Um, uh, you know, we talk about it on the tape with our good friend, Danny Moses, who's also in the house. Um, you know, it's kind of coming fruition guy. And we still have a VIX. that's like 15, mm-hmm. right? Like, 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 th- let's just talk about this. We're going to get into the Apple stuff. We're going to the China stuff. I think we've all been thinking like Apple is going to be the last battle fought in any an economic war between the U.S. Um, and China. They seem to jump the gun a little bit here, Ch- Guy. A hundred percent. Before we even get into it, Mike is asking for oh, this no. question for Elizabeth. Oh, boy. Guy, I need you to ask Liz a question. Apparently, you must like block him or something. For his oh, no. Oktoberfest, which I guess is in October. Should I have Usinger's or you Johnsonville do. Bratwurst? Okay, oh. so I believe Usinger's is still the official sponsor of sausage for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh-huh. I have always been a Johnsonville Johnsonville gal, but either are fine. But it's it's pronounced Usinger's. Uh, okay, and you know brat, uh, what do I want me to tell you? I've never I've never heard of Usinger's also, or no, Johnsonville guy. What you should do is watch a Brewer game. Sometime right. a home game and watch the sausage races. Oh. Actually, I think yeah, no, those are Clement sausages. I, I have seen that. And I think your brewers are coming to the Bronx soon. And oh, by the way, you know, it's what's interesting is, I mean, the, some of the comments today are great. I, I won't even get into it, but let's let's. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. You've been talking about China a little bit in your notes, uh, your commentary and the like here. Things mm-hmm. just kind of got ratcheted up pretty good here. And, and the fact that the Chinese, I mean, listen, we've been talking about chip pan, b- bans, ex- you know, like these advanced chip bans for a while. I think uh, the Biden administration, you know, put some, some efforts in place uh, August, September of last year. Um, you know, the whole idea, this has been going on for years, the idea of banning TikTok, right? So now 
the Chinese are saying iPhones are going to be banned uh, by government workers, that sort of thing. Um, that's a huge escalation. That being said, I'd be surprised if that many government workers in China are using right. um, iPhones. Like, And that was the same argument about some of the other stuff that we've seen. You know, there was also a Tesla when President Xi went to some city uh, recently um, he, they were banning Teslas from entering that cities because of their ability to track different, you know, data and, and LIDAR machines and that sort of thing um, in there. So what does this kind of mean to you as far as the rhetoric as it relates to China? And then we'll definitely talk about Apple specifically. Well, one of the things that we've been talking about, I know I mentioned this a few weeks ago and I made some really strange analogy with cement and yeah, you did. My, my family member had a $55,000 yep. driveway. But the point was, whether you think you're invested in China or exposed to China or not, you are. If you're invested in Apple, this is a perfect example. You are exposed to China. You are exposed to the risks that China presents. If you are invested in really any broad market ETF, you're exposed. If you're invested in materials, you're exposed. If you're invested in any emerging markets fund, you're exposed. And if you're just alive, you're exposed yeah. to China. So this stuff matters. It hasn't necessarily come through in the broad markets. It has certainly not increased fear broadly or scared investors yet. But all of this stuff will continue to add up. Not to mention, now there's this theme that is global about debt and credit and issues in debt and credit. In the US, it hasn't come to fruition yet, right? We've got credit spreads still so, so tight, high yield and investment grade. That, I, to me, that feels like a rubber band that's just yeah. being pulled further and further back. China now, obviously, debt issues. We've been talking about debt issues in China for a long time, but now they're coming to the surface. Nobody knows really how that's going to ripple through. But if and when it does, again, this is something that every investor will end up exposed to, even if just yeah. on a sentiment level. So, Guy, you talk about you've been talking about this for years. The amount mm -hmm. of uh, ETFs that hold Apple, you know, is the largest, um, you know, equity. It is the largest equity on the planet, and and just three days ago, it had a three trillion dollar market cap, and these headlines have caused, you know nearly $300 billion in market cap to come off it. That, that is crazy. You know, our friend Doug Cass over at Seabreeze who writes for Real Money, um, he's been writing on this. He's been shorted, um, I think, since prior to the earnings results. But just think about that guy in, in ET, just, just in, in market cap terms. And he was also highlighting the fact in his note this morning of these 915 million shares that Berkshire Hathaway owns, right? And a lot of big pension funds, they've been hiding out in this stock for years, guy. 347 ETFs, I think, last I looked. And don't at me if I'm off by a few. Um, <laughs> Apple is one of the top 15.15 holdings. So think about that. It, be, it becomes its own asset class. A lot of people have said that. That's not new on my part. But when the passive investing, um, you know, the, the passive investing, I guess, whatever else you want to call it. I mean, it's what's taken the market by storm over the last five years. Apple wins to that. So regardless of news, regardless of value, regardless of anything, if money flows in the market, Apple is going to win. But guess what? It works on the other side as well. So if people start waking up and say, wait a second, I didn't realize they had that risk. And don't kid yourselves. I mean, this is a salvo without question by the Chinese. It's not the first and it won't be the last. I mean, this rhetoric will continue. And it's not coincidental that it happens on the heels of Gina Raimondo being over there and trying to obviously mend some fences. There are no fences to be mended. I mean, this relationship is broken. And it's and my this is again my opinion. It's only going to continue to get worse. And people say the Chinese need us more than we need them. Maybe. Problem of course is the Chinese play a long game, a 25, 30, 50 year game 
here in the United States, and you can throw the hate all you, my way you want, we play about a five-minute game. And almost by definition, if that's the way the battle lines have been drawn, it's very difficult to beat that adversary. Yeah. And listen, we've been talking about this, it feels like for, for a couple of years now. And since the trade war started with China, you know, years and years ago, I guess it was 2018 um, or so under the Trump administration. I mean, Apple will be that last battle fought. And it has a lot to do with obviously the orientation of their supply chains. Most of the hardware that they make, um, you know, comes from China. So they rely on Chinese labor. Um, and they also rely on the Chinese consumer, this emerging middle class to buy increasingly aspirational, you know, um, devices and the like. And that was Apple. Now, all that being said, you know, when you think about WeChat, you think of these, you know, super apps, as they call them, um, most of them run on Android, right? And so Apple still has very small market share as it relates to iPhones over there. But we've said that the nationalistic tendencies that can be dictated by a totalitarian government in a country like China is going to take hold at some point. And it also means the same thing for Tesla. So it's not just reorienting as a matter of national security away from uh, an, a, an area like China, which which uh, Apple is clearly doing. They're making iPhones in, uh, in India. And that was a story, a big story over the last couple uh, months. And we also know that Tim Cook has, uh, you know, spent some time in India and Indonesia and other countries. And, and so has Elon Musk. So again, this is a story that is going to keep, um, you know, it's going to, it's, it's not going away anytime soon, Liz. And, you know, 20% or so of their revenue comes from China. And this is a company that is expected to grow sales, you know, maybe, you know, mid single digits. Um, they have all of the gross margin in the smartphone industry. But think about that. If they have to reshore the manufacturing of a lot of these phones, then that means that their margins are going to go lower. And the premium that you pay 27 times for, let's say, mid to high single digits earnings and sales growth for a company whose cash balance continues to dwindle, you know what I mean, relative to its debt, um, and if its market cap to go lower, it's just not that interesting at 27 yeah. times. So I'm not asking you to opine on the stock in particular, but if, it, if you want to use this as um, you know a proxy for U.S. multinationals who are depending on Chinese uh, for a whole host of things, it's not a great situation right now. Right. I, I have a dumb technical question sure. first. So, and this is a- What do I look like? The geek squad over easy, here? This is an easy way for me to not talk about an individual stock, but get you guys to talk about it. Uh, I can't see what's up on the screen, but if we can go back to the first chart on Apple where it showed a gap down. My question is yeah. this. So- usually when a stock gaps up, right, we talk about the fact that it's inevitable that it back and fills. Mm -hmm. When it gaps down, does it front and fill? What, where do you, what's the trajectory no, that, of the price? That's, that's fair. And if we could do, if Jacobs wants to pull something up real time, so you can go back and look at where, you know, the prior all-time high in Apple is, obviously we just made an all-time high recently, had that draft lower on the back of earnings, which should have happened. But the level we're at right now, sort of this 176, 177 level, this was basically the prior all-time highs from the fall of 2021. To answer your question, yes, we've created a gap with this gap open lower, and those gaps are typically filled. Really, the question is, though, at what point is, in, is that going to happen? Gaps can remain gaps for quite some time. So, you know, we're at these levels now where it's going to get really interesting really quickly with Apple. As Dan mentioned, this is, a, this is an expensive stock, especially in an environment where interest rates are going higher. Um, so I am definitely concerned because people say as Apple goes, so goes the broader market. I want to address a good question here before I lose the um, double click is asking, Guy, how do you square your bullish call on oil with your concerns for the general economy? I understand supply side discipline, but I'm 
inflation picks up with more hikes, doesn't that destroy demand? It's a good question. Um, you know, I think a lot of that move to the downside and all down to 65 was predicated on a slowing China, those types of things. But I think what you're seeing with this subsequent move higher, a couple things. It's a supply side issue. And, and listen, Halima Croft, we're going to have her on our podcast. She speaks to this. There's still a lot of people that would say, in this economic environment, understanding things are slowing down, oil should be higher. And I think that's what you're seeing. So yes, I'm bullish in oil. No, I'm not bullish in global economies. And I think those two can square. Back to you, Dan. So I want to I talk about this oil thing for a second. I think part of it too, at least for me, is a time horizon thing. And, and you have to Remember, uh, first of all, in my column this week, I talked about big concepts, reviewing them for back to school. This is another big concept to review for back to school. So I am also bullish oil prices, but more so in the short term. What's one of the things that usually happens before the economy contracts? Or what's one of the things that usually happens before markets see a lot of broad volatility? A spike in oil prices, mm -hmm. right? So if this turns out to be such an event the rise in oil, maybe the sort of orderly rise in oil prices could continue or spike up before we get what I think most of us at this table and guy you at home in what's it called? A, a, a skiff. A skiff. Yeah. Skiff. Are expecting. So a spike in oil, a rise in oil prices actually would be characteristic of this time in the markets, given our expectations. The other thing I would say is we talk about energy as a sector, right? Investing in oil is different than investing in energy stocks. Guy can speak to this much better than I can. But energy companies are comparatively really shareholder friendly right now. Still dividends, buybacks going on. Compare that to some of the other companies that are inflated, inflated multiples, not offering dividends. Some of the sectors that have seen the most upside this year you you don't really have a place to hide there, yeah. right? So energy is in that camp. I would actually also put utilities in that. Yeah, I just say this. So I think that was a great question. And Guy, I was going to ask you that question. Um, so I'm glad a listener did do that or a viewer. Um, you know, listen, I, I am just hard pressed um, to think that, you know, like from a geopolitical standpoint, our adversaries would love to see crude oil go higher for a whole host of reasons, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so that is on the table. We had news, you know, this week, the Saudis, the Russians, the Chinese, I mean, there, there's stuff going on there. Technically, Carter Braxton Worth had a note out, I think early this week or late last week, the anatomy of a trade on Worth charting was really great, just the technicals of crude. And it really does look like it wants to what guy? Party. And we actually discussed that anatomy yeah. of the trade yesterday. But yeah. yes, continue. Okay. So, so all that being said, your XLE, maybe they could pull up a five-year chart of the XLE. Guy, you tell me, is this thing going to be able to, to kind of like get back to those prior highs? It's it's somewhere in the kind of low 90s or something, like that 94, 95 or something like that and bust out from here. I don't know, man. Like I, I just don't think buying those stocks right here or the oral services after the move that they've made or crude at, you know, going from the high 60s, let's say to the high 80s. And possibly if you look at crude, you know, that mid 90s level, I think they probably top out there because to your point, Liz, if all of that proceeds, you know, economic weakness, I think the market's going to sniff it out or at least investors are going to sniff it out ahead of time. Thoughts on that guy? Because are you buying them here? Are you buying energy no, stocks look, here? Are you buying fair. food for the trade? It's, it's absolutely fair comment. You could say, I mean, X, I think this is XLE that you have on, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. So you're looking, we, we're pushing up to those levels. If you go longer term, um, if you can do that, Jacob, you'll see where we were. I think at its all-time high was about 101 or thereabouts. So, you know, there's a chance we make that push. The answer to your question, in my opinion, is yes, you can. I, you know, but I've been 
I really haven't wavered all that much on energy for quite some time. But I would understand people saying, you know what, it's probably getting a little long in the tooth. And OIH, which I think yesterday or day and a half ago made a four-year high at 357 or something, you can say the same thing. You know, it's time to take some money off the table. I'm here to say, though, in a world where valuations are going to start to matter and in a world where the fundamentals still stack up for energy, I think people are going to find their way into the energy trade, especially if the NASDAQ has a sell-off like I think it's going to have. All right. So the only thing I'm just going to say is I agree with you. When I look at the OAH and I look at the XLE, they look like they want to break out. I'd rather buy those breakouts in the equities than I would in the commodity, probably for a lot of the reasons that you just listed, Liz, and valuation is, is one of them and, and the way these companies are run. And Guy, you've been pounding your table, pounding the table on these names all year long, especially you know after they were just very unloved in the first half of the year. So um, I get all that. All right. So so now folks often say things like, you know, chips are the new the new oil. You hear, you hear that expression, that sort of thing. So going back to a little bit of this tit for tat with China, we talked about the advanced um, chip bans that started, you know, mid last year or so. Um, look at this SMH, okay? The ETF that tracks this semiconductor index. Um, you know, technically, it's it's coming into a level. I want to throw up Taiwan Semi, which behind NVIDIA is the second largest holding um, in the SMH. Um, this one just broke below its 200-day moving average for the first time, you know, in uh, I think since the spring or so. And and we all know, you know, this is a name that we've talked about a lot. If there was any kind of, you know, bigger elevated trade war or any sort of situation with Taiwan, I mean, this is a real, you know, this is a focal point here. Um, Thoughts here, Liz, on on this sector in general, very dependent on NVIDIA and the sort of excitement in and around AI and the lack of supply for advanced chips. And, you know, obviously we know that story really, really well right now. Taiwan Semi is kind of a, a different story here. And when I look at this SMH, I see a little bit of an air pocket back to that breakout from the spring. I'm not going to ask you on the technicals, just curious how you're thinking about this space within tech in general. So whenever I think about semiconductors, I usually try to chart it with software because you can do a a pair chart similarly to the way you can do staples versus discretionary just to try to figure out if the market is feeling cyclically positive or cyclically negative. If you chart it over a six-month period or a one-month period, you'll see that semiconductors have fallen below software. Over the six-month period, they're just kind of at the cross point. But that tells me that just in these two industry groups alone, the market has started to feel less cyclically positive. Obviously, NVIDIA is going to have an outsized effect given Mm -hmm. its performance this year and then the pullbacks that have happened. But if you look at just the behavior of the market overall, it's pretty consistent with a cyclical pullback or at least cyclical trepidation, we could call it, right? So whenever I think about semis, I think about that. uh, i maintain the view that something is going to break in the economy. This is not a time that I would be buying semis. Yeah, guy, really quickly, maybe those the guys could pull up the IGV on its own. And, mm-hmm. and this is an ETF yep. that you I you've done this in the past um, for us here. And when I look at the, you know, the components of the IGV, it's Adobe, um, it's a nearly 10%. Oracle is up eight half percent Salesforce or is eight eight percent and Microsoft's about eight percent. So if you think of that like these major enterprise software names are, are the big components here. Um and look at that thing guy. I mean that thing has gotten right back. So while we've seen you know some semis sell off a little bit, Apple's obviously sold off a lot in the hardware space. Old old tech, old old software is doing the job. Thoughts yep. there. Mm-hmm. 
It is interesting when you're going back, and we've talked about this, you know, Oracle's making an all-time high. So the IBM very quietly has been getting off the mat, um, Dell, and probably rightly Dell? so. Our, and have Dell made an all-time high on the back of their earnings. The stock was up, I think, 18% on that earnings release, which is remarkable if you think about it. I think part of it is, you know, these companies have been left for dead. They haven't been sexy. Um, they don't have the same basically moves that you've seen in some of these high flyers. But again, like energy, I think when people realize that, wait a second, these stocks in a higher interest rate environment, these high flyers are too expensive. They're going to flock to names where they can make a reasonable argument on valuation. And I think that's what we're seeing. And somebody just asked me a question. It's it's a good question, and I've lost it, so I apologize. But I have said that Taiwan Semi's one of the five most important companies in the world. I believe that. I think Microsoft is absolutely one of those companies as well. I think Apple is as well. And I'd have to think about sort of the other two. I wasn't prepared for that. But a reason why Taiwan Semi is the reasons you talk about all the time. So anyway, that's that. But I do think there's going to be a place for these old school technology and throw Cisco in that mix as well, Dan Nathan. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's kind of we're parting like it's 1999. Where's Lucent and Nortel, Liz? Somebody, um, somebody put a comment in that says time to go long Palm Pilot. Oh, <laughs> that, you know, what's funny. You know, what's funny. I, and, and because I have been involved in all these stupid stocks for as long as I've been in the business. Um, Palm Pilot, Palm was actually one of the first meme stocks. Like, you know, like people talk about meme stocks, like it's a new phenomenon in 2021 or something like that because of GameStop and AMC. Man, iOmega, do you remember that? You don't, you were like in fourth grade. Um, You know, (laughs) iOmega was like a meme stock. Uh, Palm was a meme stock. Sirius XM before they merged, both of them were meme stocks and they merged two meme stocks into one big meme stock. So that phenomenon about resale fascination with some of these Mm -hmm. things. And you know what's interesting about it? They're usually consumer products. They're Mm -hmm. usually things that retail investors can touch and feel and that sort of thing and sometimes feel an unusual bond to them. And and that is maybe the similar, you know, to GameStop and AMC. Um, I don't know. Um, All right. Let's talk about the S&P 500 guy. When Danny and I were in Chicago for the market call on Tuesday, Danny did a short trade Mm -hmm. in the S&P futures. And and it was really well timed there. We were talking about, you know, that check back to the breakout level from August of 2022, that 4350 level, which it got to um, about a month ago and just bounced off of there. And he was looking when the S&P was 4500 for the initial move back towards 4300 and then possibly as low as 4100. Are we making a little bit of a short term head and shoulders top above that breakout level? And are we likely to see a retest of that up trend that's been in place since the October lows. Yeah, it's something that Doug has been talking about. You've brought it up a couple times, the formation. And again, just just to reiterate for the however many times I've iterated it, you know, I I am bearish. I think the market's going lower. So I think the answer is you yes. Are? And wait, what? And, wait, and, what? Know, Danny's what? and Danny's his levels are spot on. The the one thing that I said is as this again, if it if it works the way I think it, as the market starts to accelerate to the downside, I actually think he can add to that position on strength and then put in that trailing stop. So it makes a lot of sense. This uptrend line will be tested. That will come in the form of about 4,300 on time decay. At a certain point, the moving average will be tested. Then the question is, what's going on in the background? If rates go up like they think they will, uh, again, I think 10-year yields are going higher. I've said that for a while. The market's not going to like that. The market's going to come to the realization that, wait a second, something's broken here and the stock market shouldn't be trading where it is. 
Yeah, Liz, what about rotation? So to Guy's point, you know, like I, I would have thought on a week that saw Apple drop 8%, you know, um, NVIDIA's drop from 500 to, you know, 456. So, so almost- by the way, quickly, and, you know, and you're going to bring up NVIDIA. Listen to what C3 AI said, you know, yeah. again, and everybody's NVIDIA is everybody's, you know, C3 AI basically saying, you know, we're, we're not, I'm paraphrasing and we can put it in the show notes, but they're not seeing, they're not being able to monetize the way the market thinks they should be monetizing. And and that's one of the reasons I think NVIDIA is under pressure. Anyway, please well, continue. But listen, guy, that, that was one of the reasons that Microsoft sold off 10% after its earnings. It was one of the reasons why, you know, Salesforce also did. I mean, like, listen, we've been saying this, you know, like a lot of folks like to point out, wow, you guys are bears or this, that, whatever. I mean, we were, we were pointing this out. I mean, the likelihood of these companies being able to realize, you know, meaningful revenue right now that turns into profit that doesn't come at maybe a slightly lower margin than some of their other stuff, or it doesn't cannibalize other purchasing of like, like software. It just doesn't make a lot of sense it would basically you know like turn on its head all the things that we know about enterprise spending as it comes to uh you know software um in the like so liz talk to us a little bit oh look at this nvidia guy this one was for you buddy and i didn't even tell you this was coming what do you call that formation right there you know what that is it you know if i had a guess that looks like a hungry reptilian probably yeah. of the, well, we call the, it the hungry alligator and yeah. so here's the deal so what's going to happen to this chart liz so you understand okay because uh-huh. uh-huh. we know that you're you know technical not a technician no you're not no. You're, you're, but you're a fine market strategist one. i don't play one on no, tv no you either. don't okay what's going to happen is is that nvidia is going to break that uptrend okay uh-huh. and then the 200-day moving average that's rising is going to get so when you have the rising 200-day get above that support level or that breakout level the jaw and that, of the alligator? that would be the tongue okay oh, yes so it. when the tongue is the 200-day moving average comes above the bottom jaw uh-huh. okay the jaw uh-huh. and then you have that snarly you're gonna have this little tooth come in uh-huh. to the top of the mouth that is what guy refers to as a hungry alligator we came up with that together uh, I okay. think that we really workshopped it a little bit. We we got it on a whiteboard. Yeah. Carter was not impressed. Was That's why say, we're kind of. I think you go forward with it once you figure out a more simpler way to no. explain it. <laughs> Can I tell you something, guy? In two in two weeks, this is going to be the most perfect hungry alligator for it. It's going to be like textbook because you're going to have that snaggle tooth tooth, uh-huh. and then you're going to have the 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 200 day moving average. You're going to have the tongue in there. Okay. And that is a, all right. Okay. So, Great. So, by the so way, it's a, go ahead. Go forward to this alligator. Yeah, that's happening. All right. All right. So, so <laughs> to to your point, so so a lot of the software companies are not able to say that that this is happening right now. Um, and Nvidia, listen, people, I'm just telling you, that was it. Okay. That that you know. So they had 75 percent revenue outperformance, then sequentially 30 percent, and then it's going to go to 10 percent, and then it's going to go negative and the stock's going to be at $350. Okay. So like that, that is what it is, but this is the way this game is played. And um, I'm very happy of all of you who made, and I mean that sincerely made a lot of money. I just didn't see it going as long um, as it did. I was not short this thing the whole time. I think a lot of our listeners, somebody sent me one of our listeners on the podcast, sent me some guy who's trolling me on Twitter. who has got a big following um, and said, he's been short in video the whole way. If you watch what we do every day, because we do show up every day, we talk about this stuff. We're very transparent. I talk about how I define my risk using puts, put spreads, you know, short call spreads, that sort of thing to get short exposure. So I would never be just kind of naked short, um, something like that. Guy, you just mentioned yields. Liz, 
break it down for us, sister. What's going on with yields here? Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have a Fed meeting for a little bit here. We know the CME Fed tracker is pricing 20th. a pretty decent, oh yeah, September 20th, but mm-hmm. then it's pricing a very low probability of a rate increase. And then we have this period in which uh, we don't have anything in October until we get to November. This chart, and Guy's been all over this too, um, you know, looks like it wants to break out. Yeah. Um, this is the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. Yeah. Well, we don't have a Fed meeting, but we do have CPI next yeah. Wednesday. Yeah. And we've got PPI the following day. And with oil where it is, uh, I would venture a guess that it may come in slightly hotter than what people are expecting. And this is that period where, and we've talked about this so many times, we've now passed the peak year over year comparisons. These comps are harder and they will continue to get harder as the year goes on. If there is a moment or, or even a couple months strung together where we have hotter than expected CPI prints, I don't think the market is going to like that very much. I think people have gotten very used to this sloping downward line that has moved in a precipitous fashion. And the expectation is that it's going to continue to do that. So I think there's a big risk that CPI surprises to the upside and the market probably has to correct in in response to that. I don't think that's going to be enough to kickstart what I think all of us are expecting, but it won't be a good look in the meantime and then we've got a fed meeting. I still I'm at this point where I don't think it matters if they do any more hikes. 25 basis points doesn't matter at this point. It's about the messaging, but it's also about the incongruency with what the market is going to expect and what they might do. And this uncertainty of are we done or not? It's yeah. only, I just would rather know that we so, were done. So guy, you've been saying somewhat similar, but but let, let me take a different approach to this. If if, if they surprise the market with a 25 basis point hike uh-huh. after they've been hawkish. Okay. Like, like let's, let's be clear on that, but it seems like market participants and some very smart ones, including Liz and you are saying that they're pretty much done. If they start raising again, they're never going to say we're done. Do you agree with that guy? And so what I'm saying is, is like, okay, then we get to five, seven, five on the upper end. Right. And then what does that mean for the DEES meeting? You know what I mean? And the nobody, like mm-hmm. my, my point is it could have like this kind of self-fulfilling sort of thing at a time where people are kind of fading the likelihood of further hikes by the fed. Although we've seen the two years stay pretty, pretty well put here, you know, mm-hmm. grounded around this. Fine. So thoughts on that, if they were to surprise the market guy. Yeah, I think it's, listen, if they were to hike 25 basis points, the market's not going to like that. And again, my opinion, I think people have come to the realization or conclusion, I should say, that not only are they done in the beginning of next year, somehow they'll be cutting rates, which I don't understand why that would be. But that's probably, you know, we'll talk about that at a different point in the show. I will say this, the damage has been done. I think I agree with Elizabeth on this one. doesn't matter what they do at this point. They've done what they needed to do. It's just now, now the market's going to deal with the lag effect. I don't want to use this analogy, but there was this great movie, Force 10 from Navarone. They had to blow up a bridge. They weren't able to blow up the bridge. So in order to take out the bridge, they decided they were going to blow up a dam. And they put all these explosives in the dam. They set the explosives off and nothing happened. And they're looking at each other like, why isn't anything happening? And the guy that basically set the explosives off said, let nature take its course. Just trust me. Just be patient here. And sure enough, the crack started to form. The dam broke. Everybody's impatient. I'm guilty of that as well. But nature has been put in place. The, this whole thing has been put. The, the, the die has been cast. It's just a question now is 
When are we going to start feeling the impact? I think that's an inevitability that we will. Well, the timing, let's listen to the timing of this too. And I wrote about this in my piece today. All of these people talking about this time is different. It, you know, it's taking longer. Okay, here's the reality. We are 17 months into the hiking cycle. We are 14 months into a major yield curve inversion. This is exactly the time when it usually happens. Mm -hmm. So we could get to a point, let's say we're one year, two years down the road, looking back on this period. And what if we're saying, I think it's, it's likely that we're saying something like, oh, turns out it was exactly the same, not different. It was actually in the exact window that it has happened over the past 14 months. Funny, fun fact, 14 months is the average of when a recession starts after a yield curve inversion. This is month 14. Yeah. And again, we won't know that we're in a recession until six months after the fact. Correct. So, so to your point, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, good chance it happens in the not so distant future. And then the markets start uh, discounting that and they have not done that at all mm-hmm. so far. I just thought it was funny. We started the week with Goldman lowered their recession odds to 15% from 20%. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they, like, there's no recessions ever again. Um, let's, let's talk about your note really quickly here. Um, mm-hmm. They just flashed it up here. It's on the money. Um, mm-hmm. You guys can find it on the SoFi um, investment blog. Uh, looks uh, Liz looks at September markets guy. She did not do the thing that I thought she might do to get you kind of exercised uh, wake me up when September ends. Yeah, that, that's, that's the, you know no, what? She's no, better than that. No, she she's better so much that. better than no, that. It's, you know, it's in there. On. It's in there. Oh, it there is? Paragraph. Oh, we didn't yeah. read it yet. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, we were waiting for the you to read it to song, us. So go ahead. Well, you can just <laughs> yeah. read that little clip there. Yeah. The first song though is that one by Earth, Wind and Fire. Okay. Do you remember? Oh yeah. Will you sing it? So uh, not this time, yeah. but there's a, there's a bull anthem and a bear anthem, right? The bull anthem is September by Earth, Wind and Fire. The bear anthem is wake me up when September ends, right? Who knows which one is going to be right? I like both of the songs. I would lean towards Green Day versus Earth, Wind, and Fire. But what uh, what's happening? Here's the, here's the thing that I did in this note. Back to school, big concepts. Let's not get lost in the day to day. Let's not get lost in the weeds and get too overly excited about one or two companies. The reality is, we still have to respect the cycle. And I'm going to talk about this from a market perspective very quickly. If we are in fact late cycle, first of all, I can't find any indicators that we're not. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite confident that we're late cycle, but we've been in it for a while. What usually happens late cycle is that large caps outperform. Guess what's happened this year? Large caps have outperformed small caps by about 13 percentage points. Then you get into a contraction. That's when bonds outperform. That has not happened. So the call for the 10-year yield to continue to rise, maybe we're not there yet, but if and when that starts to occur, the bond trade, for those of you that are in treasuries and are invested in them or have been invested in them, yours truly is one of them. That's when it starts to work. And then later, there was actually a question in the comments. Somebody said, Liz has uh, recommended small cap value in the past. Does she still feel that way? Not until you get to this part in the cycle, which is early expansion. That's when small caps lead, particularly small cap value because of the exposure to things like financials, industrials, and those cyclical sectors. So not yet, but I'll let you know when I feel better about it. All right. I mean, Guy, we got through that without you getting um, too disappointed. Exercise. No, I love this as well. Come on. I think you probably appreciate the earth, wind, and fire. You know, I actually, you know, I'm a huge Green Day fan. I've seen them Mm -hmm. in concert lots. Yeah, I love the Um, Green Day. But I've actually seen Earth, Wind, and Fire in concert 1995, July at the Greek Theater in LA. How about that? And I was very pleasantly surprised. That was a fun um, show. All right. Before we get out of here, so we went from, Liz just said, without getting too excited, this is the moment of the week where a guy gets really excited because 
John Butters. He is the senior earnings insight analyst over there at FactSet. Guy just calls him hashtag. Watch Butter. people watch it. Watch the comments section. I know, I know the comments light up, and we're we're glad to have him back. He had a much needed vacation, but actually, he wrote uh, his earnings insight blog last week. We did quote it on our on the tape podcast. This one was great, man. Hold, hold I, on I a second. before I know you want to introduce yeah. Butters properly, so do it. But it, what is a chumba wumba? Is that a band? <laughs> wasn't that wasn't there a song tub something? I don't know because some some guy is saying that I wear a banana hammock to. Chumba Wumba bands. I don't know. So, sorry. The comments and it's just so good. Anyway, sorry. I, know. I, I wish it's we could turn them off. Um, yeah. All right. So this week, John Butters, Senior Earnings Insight Analyst over there at FactSet, who writes the Earnings Insight blog. We get a preview of it on Thursdays on the market call. It drops Friday. So you go find that at the FactSite uh, investment blog that they have over there. This week, talking about something that I thought was really interesting because we know that we are done with S&P earnings for the Q2. Um, he's talking about how often the term AI had been cited in Q2 earnings calls. 177 S&P 500 companies did just that. This reflects the highest number in the last 10 years and 51% increase compared to the prior quarter. The information tech sector has the highest number of percentage of companies citing AI on Q2 calls. The S&P 500 companies citing AI on Q2 calls has seen higher average price increases in recent months compared to the S&P 500 companies not citing AI. All right, Liz, talk to me about that. All right. So, you know, we've been hearing a lot about this. I do think it's interesting that quarter over quarter from Q1 into Q2, they saw a 51% increase. And listen, you know, I'm sure Butters has a treasure trove of data. He's been doing this and tracking this sort of stuff for a very long time. Whatever is the buzziest thing. I yeah. bet he was writing about Web3. I bet he was writing about, you know, like a whole host of other trends, blockchain and, and the like five years ago, that sort of thing. So talk to me when you see data sets like this. It, it is interesting. It does speak a little bit to the psychology of investors yeah. if they're willing to actually give some credit to the fact that companies are speaking to these trends. Well, and I'm sure companies, I, I know companies think through this more than what I'm about to yeah. suggest, but it feels like, especially looking at a chart like this and those of us that listen to everything that companies say and follow it, it feels like they all kind of looked around and said, oh, wait, somebody found the fountain of youth. Somebody found the fountain of revenue and the fountain of multiple expansion. Let's figure out a way to talk about AI. And the types of companies that started to talk about it, I'm, I'm not going to mention any in particular, but if you go through the list of the ones that started to cite AI, some of it just doesn't even make sense. Like, what are you going to use AI for? <laughs> right? So I think people thought this was some sort of magic bullet it's not going to be a magic bullet in the next six to 12 months. It, yes, it will transform industries over time, right? And yeah. I've said this so many times, it will transform industries over time, but themes are two to five year things. They are not things that you do on a quarterly basis. Well, this this is a, you know, 10 to 20 year theme. Like, like we right. can all agree on that much yeah. like mobile was. And, you know, like, you know, the whole, you know, broadband, all these things that we get it. We're not, we don't mean to poo poo them as a technology and what yeah. they're going to do to companies and their processes and, and, and all the like. It's really how the market reacts to them, guy, right? Isn't that kind of the thing that you and I, we've, we've been fortunate fortunate to see lots of different cycles and the mother of all cycles, which is not too different, you know, was that basically the, the, the switch to the internet and how yeah. you know, in 1999, you could have been saying e-commerce, internet, e-commerce.com with this or whatever. And there'd be tons of skeptics saying that's never going to work. That's never going to work its way. Into, you know what I mean? But you would have been a fool to do that, but you could have looked at the stocks, you know what I mean? And said, the stock market valuation doesn't work or the, you know what I mean? Like, like relative to this, that, or whatever. So that's where, that, that's where I shake out on that. 
I agree. Listen, the fact that John is writing about this and, you know, a 51 percent increase compared to the in terms of mentions, you know, I think what you're going to see now is I think mentions will probably remain the same. I think that we're going to see diminishing marginal returns in terms of what it means for stock performance. So, again, you know, companies mention AI in the call. Seemingly, the stock goes from negative to positive in the snap of a finger. I think those days, in my opinion, are probably over. And I don't think you're going to see the knee-jerk reaction. So the mentions will be there. The stock reaction won't, Dan. All right. little housekeeping here. Really quickly, um, I think we did it on our Tuesday market call. I know that you guys referenced it yesterday, Guy. Look at that right there. The Battle of the Bonds is from our, our fine sponsor, CME Group. You have until tomorrow at 5 p.m. Central Time to sign up. They're giving cash prizes. This is a bond futures trading contest. The first winner, I think, gets $2,500 in first place, second place, $1,500, and third place, something less than that. But we are doing a bottle giveaway, a market call, risk reversal, bottle giveaway. For those of you, the first 100 today who go and sign up, I think we already shipped, or we're going to ship 100 of these things from the other day here. You go to the cmegroup.com slash bonds challenge okay it's a paper trading contest you just have to sign up for it trade the bonds as much as you want between september 10th and the 15th and the winner gets those prizes but you can be a winner by just signing up taking a screenshot of your registration emailing it to contact at riskreversal.com okay blow up a man's email or whatever blow it up kind of bonds um, treasuries, uh, T-bills. I mean, they, there's a whole list of oh. bonds that you can trade. Trade them as much as you want, as little as you want, but the winners get those uh, three prizes, the top nice. three. And then you can just be a winner by going up and signing up and getting one of our tricked out water bottles. So that's that. Thanks to CME Group. So Guy, take us out here, man. It's always fun to have EY. It was fun. We got a lot going on. It's hot here. It was great. Yeah. Listen, the fact that the NASDAQ invited us, we rang the opening bell this morning. That that, cool. That's a pretty cool thing to do. So, And I think we put out an earlier picture of 17 years ago what some of us looked like when we did similar. So I don't know some if you put us, that you. in the show notes, but that's yeah. crazy because I mean I haven't changed a bit. Yeah. Don't change because well, you know what? Be the you know, be yourself, right, Elizabeth? Isn't that how it all thing works? Be you and be it well. Yeah. Well, that's, that's nice. exactly because you know why? Because everyone else is taken. But I want to thank our sponsor, SoFi. Dan, get your money right all in one app. FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Tomorrow, of course, being Friday, you won't hear from us. But we got them some things in the cooker, as they say, where you might actually start. What I say? No, in the hopper, the cooker, whatever. You know what I mean? Hopper, the, I don't know. Yeah. Hopper, the, by the way, is obviously the sheriff in um, that great movie. That great movie. That great series, uh, Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. I like Hopper. He's a badass. Hey, hey, really oh, quickly. I, um, I hate doing this on a day that we have. One, one of the finest strategists that we think exists on the markets, mm. that would be you, Liz mm. Young, on with us. We got to tease that tomorrow on, on the tape is oh, going to be gosh. Savita Supermanian. You oh, love she's Savita. Great. She's yeah, the best. She's great. Yeah, I've seen you on a panel yeah. with Savita before. You guys, you Probably. guys, she, she's great. Um, I've known Savita for a long, long time. She actually used to work on Rosie's team in the lead up to oh, the yeah? financial crisis. That's where I first um, met her. So Savita is going to be on with us um, today. That's dropping tomorrow in the on the tape podcast feed. So check that out. Liz and Guy have a very special <laughs> Monday edition of On the Tape that will be dropping this Monday. So if you just haven't had enough of Liz right now, mm -hmm. 
get more Just on give Monday. it a few more days. Yeah, there you go. Um, so we got a lot of stuff going on there. All right, guy. Thanks so much. We do. Later, peeps. All right, thanks, everyone. Uh,